Um, and, and how do you feel? And every one of you, as soon as he said it, I guarantee you, you thought about the emotion that you were experiencing at the moment. And really, you were answering the question, what you feel. Well, that's not what the question is. The question is, how do you feel? And if we're all honest, most of us have no idea how we feel about anything. We just do. Okay? So in order to, to really discover that process, the word how is all about process and technique. So to really understand the word, you have to push back. I tell our kids all the time, sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. In order to see the forest, you have to step out of the forest. So this summer series is about stepping back and really looking at a bigger picture, a bigger picture of your own heart and a bigger picture of how your heart impacts those people around you. I say this all the time to our athletes, and I've said this a couple times in church. Our relationship with the Lord is very personal, but it's not private. We were, we were placed here for such a time as this for one another, okay? That cross behind me, that cross, it reestablished man's relationship with God and man's relationship with mankind. It's a vertical axis and a horizontal axis, okay? So this topic of how you feel um, lives, breathes um, that cross, okay? The second reminder is God's perspective on his children is this. We're lost, we were lost, and we're found. Okay? Our position in regards to the Godhead is that we are his, completely redeemed, completely forgiven, and completely loved. Our perspective, on the other hand, is I was blind, and now I am learning to see. You get that? There's a process of us becoming who we really are, okay? At the cross, it was established, okay? Our position in Christ was established. The problem is, is we don't understand how to flesh out our position in Christ. So this whole idea of how do you feel, it's a part of walking through the process of becoming Christ-like. This goes back to Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began the work will complete it, okay? It's a process, okay? So some of us struggle with this, how, how we feel, and when we get to this topic of anger, um, because we're in this gap of the not yet. One of my colleagues described our position in, in terms of imagine that you're sitting at the house doing your normal thing, someone knocks on the door, you know, you walk up to the door and you find out that you are the son of a king and of a foreign nation. And you're, wow, yeah, 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 I thought I was important, but now, yeah, I'm really important, right? So, you, you, you know, you celebrate that and then you go with this, this individual to that foreign country and there you're celebrated for who you are. And what you come to find out is, man, I am this, but I don't understand the language. I don't understand the traditions. I don't understand the food. Well, how do they develop a taste for this type of food? Okay? My position is this, but I'm still in transition to understanding. And uh, as I was sharing with Dan some of the, the, the things that, were, that, that I was working through, um, he reminded me, 
that a lot of times our anger is a source of not understanding who we really are and not understanding that process of becoming, okay? So your first reminder was we have to step back. Your second reminder is who you really are in Christ. And then this, this third reminder, and this is the, the context of really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in a lot of places with Scripture, but this is really the context. This comes out of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this summer series is this. I'm going to read this so I don't botch it. It's about recognizing the patterns of this world. You know, that was written to the Romans. Don't think that we're different than the Romans from way back when. We have cultural patterns that are not Christian patterns. Okay? It's just about recognizing patterns of this world and about the patterns in our own lives. How are they the same? Are they different? Um, it's about being transformed. You all understand transformation means change. You know, I, I ask our kids all the time, how many you want to grow? Oh, yeah. How many you want to change? Do you understand that you don't grow without change? We talk about being transformed into the image of Christ. Do you realize how painful that is? It requires change. Changing of our hearts, changing of our, our thoughts, changing of our actions and behaviors and speech. Transformation is change. How are we transformed according to this passage? By the renewing of our mind. How, are, how is our mind renewed? The Word of God. The Word of God, okay? So three reminders um, as, we, as I dive into this anger. One was what? Step back so you can see. Two, remember who you are in this process of the not yet. Where there's, you know, Dan describes it all the time as a gap. We're in this gap, and it's uncomfortable, okay? And then three, the ultimate deal is that we're being transformed into the image of Christ, okay? And we, we are, in some areas of our life, being conformed to the patterns of this world, okay? And you won't notice it unless you step back. So that's what we're trying to accomplish over this series of messages. My role at CCS is obviously in athletics, and athletics has a big, uh, plays a big part in the life uh, and community uh, at CCS. So um, eight years ago, that's how long I've been here. Now, ask me if I wanted to be here that long. Absolutely not. Um, I was expecting to be gone in three. That's the reason I didn't plug in very much here because I was like, ah, don't risk it. Don't plug in. You're going to be out of here before you know it. And here I am eight years later talking to you about how angry I am. Um, uh, but in my role, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out um, 
how to change culture, okay? We've got a great community at CCS, but there's still things that's got to change, okay? So I've done a lot of research through reading and interviewing uh, successful programs, and even uh, I even am a part of a, inter, uh, an, um, a national um, forum that meets uh, about every week um, where I, I bounce ideas and ideas that bounce off of me about culture. And this is what I've learned about culture. Culture is really three things. It's belief, behavior, and experience. Okay? Belief, behavior, and experience. In any culture, there is a set of beliefs. Okay? And those set of beliefs drive the behavior that you see. So if, if I want to know what you believe, all I have to do is watch. Okay? And, you know, you can say I'm judgmental all you want to, but, you know, Christ says you, you'll know them by their fruit. Okay, if I if you want to know what anybody believes in the world, all you have to do is watch them, because beliefs drive behavior, and those behaviors produce an experience. Okay, and that experience is both given. I give you an experience of Mike Connor, and then I receive one from you. Okay, and when you know you have alignment in an organization or in a school or uh, even in a church. Everyone's experience kind of looks the same, okay? That's what culture is all about, okay? So where does this fit in? Well, anger is just like anything else. It starts with a belief, okay? It starts with a belief, and it produces a behavior, okay? So I want you to think right now, um, as you consider the experience that you've had with angry people, Right? Not yourself. Surely you're not angry. Uh, but what has that experience been like? Okay? It's usually broken. It's usually painful. Um, when I think about my anger, it's usually breaking, and it's usually painful for someone else. Right? That's typically um, what our experience is like. Okay? So here's the true test um, for us to consider. Whether our beliefs about anger are patterns of this world. Whether your beliefs and my beliefs about anger are really patterns of this world, or are they marks of the new man in Christ? So that's what we're going to try to do. Um, I have a ton of passages. Why? Because the Bible talks a ton about anger. So it's real. You need to understand it's real. Um, it's not necessarily um, an evil thing. Um, it can be a, a very good thing, okay? And that's what we're going to try to determine here. So what I'm going to ask you to do, uh, and I meant to mention this earlier, uh, a lot of my resource came from Tim Keller um, and a guy named uh, David Paulson, okay? Did I say his name right? Paulson, okay? Uh, in, in this book, you know, in the neat that the cover would be red, and it's about anger, okay? So the title is Good and Angry, Being Good and Angry. Um, David Psyche actually gave me this uh, <laughs> as a reference. Uh, I'm not sure why he had it. He didn't seem to be an angry guy, but he, get, he, he let me use it, uh, use it for this. Uh, and in this book, uh, kind of in the preface, he, he kind of goes through this process of how he would encourage you to read the book. Um, and I want to give you a tidbit about how to 
how to really process these sermons, okay? Uh, you know, he says, underline it with a pen and then write questions and then highlight certain things and that highlighter indicates something else. And then he uses this term, um, what about this? But what about this? Because what, what about this is that I have a problem with something you just said, okay? So I want you, I want to encourage you to write out to the side, regardless who's preaching, what about this, as we talk about these different emotions and how we feel, okay? Um, I think it's a great process, especially for you men who are meeting on Saturday, um, rehashing the sermon, okay? So what about this? All right. And then uh, write down these verses and go back and look at them, okay? So these are, I'm just going to read a bunch of verses about anger, okay, and talk a little bit about them. We'll start in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14, uh, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Folly in reference to a fool, okay? So let me ask you, you guys, as you think about the times you've been angry, have you ever got to the end where you finally calmed down and you felt like an idiot? Yeah, that's what they're talking about here in Proverbs. Okay. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than the one who takes the city. Okay, I'm going to read this in uh, ESV and that... And then I'm going to use another version. It's called the Berean Study Bible. Um, this particular verse in the Berean Study Bible says, He who is slow to anger is better than a warrior. And he, he who controls his temper is greater than he who, who captures his city. So get the picture there. Better than a warrior that captures the city is the man who is slow to anger. A man of great wrath, this is Proverbs 19, 19. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again and again. From the Berean Study Bible. A man of great anger, same verse, must pay the penalty. If you rescue him, you will have to do so again and again. That verse indicates that there's a habit. Anger can be a habit. It's almost like an addiction. And if you rescue someone from it and they don't, they don't understand what, why, what's happening, you're going to be doing it again and again and again. Proverbs 29.11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit. But a wise man quietly holds it back. Berean study Bible, a fool vents all his anger, but a wise man holds it back. Again, fool, you feel like an idiot? That's why. Okay? Now, coming from the New Testament, just again, I just picked a few passages. Um, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, ESV. Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Again, from the Brian Study uh, Bible. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Neither give opportunity to the devil. So there's a connection with this anger, okay? One, it clearly said that you can be angry and not sin, okay? And then it clearly says that it, there are certain types of anger that gives way to the devil. So there is an evil connotation and there is a, a godly connotation, okay? That's why I say when you consider your anger, is it a pattern of this world? Um, James 1, and we'll end up camping out a little bit in James here. James 1, know this, uh, this is 19 and 20. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I'll read it again out of Berean. My beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. So a couple of observations about anger just from these passages, both old and new. First of all, expel the myth that anger um, in and of itself is wrong. That's not true. You know, so when I asked you how, do you, how do you anger earlier, I think I asked you that. If I didn't, I'm asking you right now, okay? And you automatically felt guilty. Why? Okay? Anger in and of itself is not wrong, okay? So it, you got to dispel that myth, all right? It's not. In fact, it's actually good, uh, just in these verses, we see that slow to anger, people who are slow to anger are considered wise, okay? Um, better than a warrior. And they produce righteousness that God desires. Second thing we can observe is that there are two types. There's really three, and I'll, I'll share the third one in a little while. There's two types of anger. That hot, hasty, quick-tempered, anybody there? Come on, dads. Hot, hasty, quick-tempered, that's what, we, what uh, Tim Keller refers to as blowing anger. Just blow up, okay? You ever heard someone describe, man, they just snapped? Or I've told the guys, I'm, I'm about to snap. Um, that would probably be that quick-tempered, hasty, Okay? Uh, and then there's obviously the other one that's slow to anger. And, and we just read in our uh, uh, passage about Jonah, the description of God is that he's slow to anger. So obviously that's a good one, okay? Um, you don't have to be a theological genius to figure that one out, okay? So nowhere in Scripture do we find that anger is wrong. What we find is that anger... Or, our, or that our response in anger can be the different story, okay? Anger, like discouragement, is a reality that we deal with more times than not. In fact, as you will see, anger can be an indicator of something good happening in our hearts. Anger can actually, now think about this, anger can actually bring about a righteous life that God desires, 
I don't know about you, but I don't think like that. I think angry, I don't think righteous life that God desires. Okay? And again, I ask you, think about those experiences that you've had with anger. Your loved ones, your children, dads and moms, your peers. You know, the people I probably get the most frustrated with, you would think it would be my family. It's the people I work with. Man, they drive me insane. Okay? And I can tell you, their experience with Mike Connor's anger has not been righteous or holy. Okay? It's usually quick-tempered and hasty. Um, so think about your own experiences. Where do you fit? What I hope to do is describe what it is, why it happens the way it happens, and how to be slow in anger. Okay? So what is anger? Well, it's an emotion. It's a feeling. Okay? I, I use the word feeling. It's a feeling. Okay? So you guys who are putting up walls because I said it's a feeling, get your mind right about emotions, okay? Um, here's what motions are. Emotions. Think about the word. Emotion. Okay? They're just... They're, they're, they're feelings that move us to action. That's what emotions are, okay? And when they're unchecked, they're usually impulsive, okay? So when I describe this hasty, quick temper, that's an impulsive, okay? They, they, people don't think. They just, bam, hit you right in the mouth with whatever whatever's going on, whatever they feel, okay? But emotions are designed to move us to action, okay? So don't be afraid of emotions it's from a guy who probably is, thinks of himself as emotionless all the time. So let, let, me, let me do this before we go on. Let's stop and think about how things usually, usually take place in our life, typical patterns that we have, okay? And these are all intertwined, okay? So something happens, like right now, okay? You are listening to someone try to describe anger, okay? It's a sermon, okay? It's an event for you. Okay? And as you are here, you're focusing on this event. The event happens to be me. Okay? And what's happening right now, whether you realize it, this is that pushback part, what's happening is you're developing thoughts. Okay? And those thoughts are leading to emotions, and those emotions will eventually lead to an action, and that action will reinforce what you're focusing on to begin with. Okay? So think in context of what I do with football. Okay? I have a player that I want to get on the field. This guy is an incredible athlete. He has one problem. He doesn't know the plays. Okay? So I put him in practice, hoping to give him a chance, hoping to encourage him, hoping to get him on the field. He goes out there, and he blows his first assignment. I just look at him and say, get off. I tell our guys all the time, you're either going to do what I ask you to do or you're going to watch somebody else do it. Okay? I'm not mad. You know, I'm disappointed. I just say, hey, get off, okay? So he goes off on the sideline, and that's the event. Coach Connor just kicked me off the field, and he is fixated on that, okay? Well, the next thing I know, we're going about practice because we ain't got time to deal with that. You know, I got you know, at that time I had 60 other guys I had to, uh, to prepare for that week, okay? Well, we, you know, I'm focusing on what, what my task is, and our head coach looks over, and he looks over to the sideline, and this young man is doing this. So here you, here's the, all the action. He's doing this right here, which is a no-no. 
It's a no-no at Chattanooga Christian in our football program. Your eyes are always on the field, the action going on. We tell the kids, if you're not in there, you better be stealing reps. You better be getting mental reps. You should know exactly what your position player messed up, okay, or what he did right, okay? Well, this young man has turned his back. Well, that's a no-no, and that usually is a quick um, uh, response and accountability. So the next thing I know, this young man's running a laps, running laps, running laps. I don't know how. He probably ran about a mile and a half that day, okay? Um, so he comes back, and, you know, we say, all right, you ready to go again? We give him another chance, okay? Um, and naturally, he's pouting. Um, he doesn't do that well, and we have to send him out again, okay? So I give you this description, all right? The event was me saying, get off the field, okay? He fixated on that. His thought was, Coach Connor, this happens to me all the time, no matter how nice I am. Coach Connor don't like me. He don't like me. He's picking on me, okay? Which led to a motion of, well, he certainly wasn't glad, okay? He was mad or sad, and he started pouting over there, okay? Which led to the action of, one, pouting, and then turning his back on his teammates, okay? Which made our head coach have to, that became an event for him. You see this, how this thing spirals? Became an event for him that he had to deal with, okay? And the whole reason why I sat him over there was to reinforce that that behavior is not acceptable, okay? And that Coach Connor actually wants him on the field, okay? Now, had his mind been, hey, Coach cares about me and wants me to play, do you think he would have responded the way he did? No. No. He probably would have been more diligent to get his plays and learn his assignments. Guys, I'm telling you, that happens to us all the time. Things happen, we have a thought about it that leads to an emotion, that leads to an action that reinforces what we're focusing on to begin with. That's happening right now as I'm talking. You're going through that process over and over, okay? That's what happened when I used the word feeling with some of the guys. They're like, ah, oh, shut down. I'm not listening to some Joe Leg talk about feelings, okay? All right, so... Consider all that as, as we talk about anger. Um, and, and here's the other thing about that story. Your thoughts, your beliefs lead to your behavior, okay? And that particular kid thought I didn't like him, which led to that behavior, okay? Um, so anger, think about anger now. Anger at its root is driven by belief. It's no different. The question is, what belief do you and I have that leads to our angry behavior? Okay? I mentioned this early. A anger actually reveals something good. Here's what I mean. Tim Keller defines anger as love in motion. Okay? Listen to me. He says it's love in motion towards a threat to which you love. A threat towards something which you love. So anger at its root is really love, okay? Think about it. Something you love is threatened. What happens? Something happens. Usually I get ticked, okay? Um, and I'm usually not very slow in that 
being ticked. Okay? Uh, Dan uses it. Y'all remember the illustration that, poor Mana. Uh, Dan often uses about the Super Bowl. Remember this? Okay? They had this great uh, family uh, outing at Mr. T's, right? Okay? Dan actually's with the family. We're out at Mr. T's. In my house, we don't ever eat out, so that's a big deal. Um, uh, so they're eating pizza, which for kids is the greatest thing that ever was invented. Um, they're getting their soda pops, all that junk, okay? And then Dad actually gives them a little extra to go get the little bouncy balls. Y'all know what I'm talking about at Mr. T's, right? Those things will go and go and go. So Mona gets the bouncy ball, and they walk out of the door, and what happens? She bounces it, and the ball heads out right in the street, right? Well, what was his reaction? He flipped. He came unglued. Why? Because his daughter, whom he loved, was in danger. And I'm sure if it was mine, I, you know, he was probably much more gracious than I would have been with my boys. Okay? That, that's an example of anger at the root uh, of anger is love. Okay? Now, the question is, what is it that you love? Love leads to quick anger or quick temper, or hasty anger. Love leads to slow anger. And unfortunately, love, and this is that third one that I mentioned uh, earlier, or a lack thereof leads to a state of no anger. Okay, so you either have blowing anger, you have slow anger, or you have no anger. Okay, and the only one that is acceptable in the eyes of God is slow anger. Okay. Here's another example of beliefs to drive behavior, this whole idea of anger, love. Um, you know, some of you, <laughs> you may or may not appreciate this, but down in the South, the deep South, football's a big deal. <laughs> and on Friday nights in small and large communities all across the great state of Alabama, <laughs> people stop what they're doing, literally. Stop what they're doing, and they congregate at the local high school football game, okay? Whole town shut down, okay? It's a big deal. And, you know, Georgia, Georgia's pretty close. Uh, Tennessee, not even, not even, okay? Um, and when I coached down in Alabama, it would never fail on Friday nights. You know, we'd get the guys warmed up, get them all juiced up, ready to go. And our head coach, the last thing that, um, before we went out and played, he would have a quick team meeting, Okay? And the last thing he would tell those guys was, football is a great game, but a terrible guy. That was his last words to them. And then he'd go out and then they'd kick everybody's rear end. Okay? Well, why did he have to do that? Why did he have to remind us as coaches? It's a great game, but a terrible guy. Okay? Because we take good things and make them ultimate. That's the nature of our heart. Okay? And for me, in my profession, look, I get fired if we don't play well. It's just the nature of the beast, okay? So I can make that thing a good, that, that, the game of football, which is good, I can make it ultimate all the time. And this goes back to that whole anger thing. Anger at the root is love. And our problem is our love can be disordered, okay? Your, our anger can be, or excuse me, our love can be disordered. That's what that's why people are crazy about football in Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Southeast, okay? 
That's the reason you have more people worshiping football on Sundays than you do in our, our churches. It's a good thing that becomes ultimate, okay? It's disordered love. Uh, St. Augustine refers to it as disordered love. We turn good things into ultimate things. Uh, When we love things too much or more than God himself, we find our emotions completely uncontrollable or uh, disproportionate. It's disordered, and it's disordered love that leads to disordered anger. That's why anger pulverizes, uh, disintegrates. That's why my children, these guys over here, are terrified when they sense that I'm angry. Okay? Why? Because my love is disordered. Anger is love. Move to deal with the threat of something or someone you love. When you and I look at the things in our heart that most anger us, you have to ask the question, what am I defending? The answer is what you love most. This requires you to push back, become more aware of who you really are, um, which this entire series is all about. It's about becoming aware of ourselves and our awareness of being uh, conformed to the patterns of this world. So back in the fall, uh, excuse me, back in the spring, and I do have his permission. I, I, well, I didn't ask for permission. I just told Clay I was going to say it. Okay. So Clay had a uh, an event for our family in, in which uh, he made a uh, just a careless decision, um, and I had to go all the way to Washington D.C. and bring his rear end home. Um, and I can tell you, um, he was scared to death of what his dad was going to do to him. Okay, because of my disordered love uh, and how my anger sometimes comes out. So there was fear on his side uh, that dad's going to kill me. And you can't imagine. I mean, my players, the guys who know me, they were all like, man, I can't imagine that ride home. I cannot. Coach, did you kill him? No, you know. And they were really surprised at the story. Okay, the assumption was that the trip was going to be brutal because of my anger. Uh, and the reality is, is when I first found out about it, I was pretty ticked. Uh, I was blowing. Um, I was mad, um, and I wanted to take out the threat to my son, right? Someone had influenced him in a negative way, and I wanted to take him out. And then I was mad because I wanted to take out the threat to my reputation, which was my son. Uh, And then my God stepped in, and he gave me nine hours of space to have to contemplate what's really going on in my own heart. And I want you to know, when I got there, by the time we got there, uh, my heart was so... um, changed, I guess is the right word, that my first response when I saw my son was just to give him a hug. He knew he screwed up. I didn't have to tell him that. Um, But I knew he was scared to death of me because of my disordered love in the past. And so I'll, he'll tell you, I went to give him a hug, and he walked right out of it. 
He didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. And that was just the testimony of God's goodness and faithfulness uh, to our son. It was overwhelming. Uh, So much so, it felt like weeping. Um, You know, my my anger was turned to rejoicing. It looked like weeping. And I remember telling Clay uh, the night I talked to him before I even got to him in his presence was, look, man, this is God's grace in your life that you got caught and that you had to walk through this. And you and I had to, and as a family, we had to walk through this. This is God's grace. And we have to learn how to, how to feel about God's grace, even when it hurts. So here's where I hope you get, gain the understanding of why it is awesome that our God gets angry. He gets angry because of his love. And his love is moved to deal with a threat to his children, you and I, his chosen ones. That's why he gets angry, because of his deep love and care for us. And even think about Jonah. Just go back to Jonah and what we read earlier, what Chad read earlier. Even when we're kicking and screaming and still angry at God, he's still slow to anger, compassionate, long-suffering, patient, Paul Tripp describes this order of love in terms of kingship. And he poses the question, what kingdom are you most concerned about when angry? Big K kingdom, God's kingdom, or little K kingdom, your kingdom? I I submit to you, when, when I'm blowing angry, it's all about control and about my kingdom coming and my will be done in my house as it ought to be in heaven. Right? And then when we, when, we, when, we, when we push back and realize that's not his kingdom, um, we realize just how disordered and messed up we are. Okay? So the Lord's anger is being kingdom angry or anger, always working uh, to right what is wrong with patience, justice, and mercy. You and I, on the other hand, will wrestle between big kingdom anger and little kingdom anger because sin turns us sin turns us on ourselves. Uh, We will be angry, demanding, and critical for all the wrong reasons. So in this gap of the already and the not yet, our anger will be at war. This is a war between God's will and our will, between God's plan and our plan, between God's desire and our desire, and between God's sovereignty and our quest for self-rule. You guys understand that the heartbeat of sin is I want God dead. You understand that? When we're rebellious and sinful, the heart of it is, God, I think I can handle this without you. I want you out of the picture. That's the heart. That's the heart that drives this disordered love, this disordered anger. Um, Self-rule. It's a war fought in every situation, location, and and relationship in our life. So going back to this faith, hope, and love that Dan, it's kind of the rubric for which we're discussing, okay? It's our faith worked out um, and what we really believe that drives our behaviors. It's the hope and the resurrection and the, 
the factual historical re uh, resurrection of Christ, that those things combined produce the love that never fails. Okay? There's going to be a day where faith, we're going to see him face to face. And there won't need, be a need for hope. Okay? Because we're going to be with him. So the hope of being with him is going to happen. All that's going to last is what? Love. And we have eternity to love him and he love us. So getting to the how. So we are exhorted to be angry and sin not. How? Through faith. So when you're in that moment, you got to check yourself. I call them dipstick questions. Okay? Some of you, surely most of you guys know what a dipstick is. Okay? It's the thing you check the oil level in your car. You stick it in, you pull it out, and you have a good, accurate representation of what's going on inside. Okay? So check yourself. What is it that you love? Is it worthy? Is your circumstances really what you think they are? Okay, it goes back to the story. Remember the football player? The story he was telling himself was, Coach Connor hates me. Okay? You tell yourself stories too, and they're not accurate. Okay? What story are you telling yourself? What is true? Here's what's true in every situation. God is present and in control. God's law is both a mirror and a lamp. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What did you love instead? What do you love? The, uh, excuse me, the what do you love question is getting at, at our real or functional faith, okay? Second thing, admit it. Call your anger what it is. And if it's, if it's godly, then call it godly, okay? And don't be proud about it. Be thankful uh, that your, your, your mindset is that on things of Christ. But if it's not, call it what it is. It's sin, okay? Don't hide from it. Three, remember the gospel. Listen to this from uh, the book I mentioned earlier, David Paulson. Jesus is the bridge between the law as a mirror and the law as a lamp. So it's a mirror and it's a lamp, the, the word. Um, Jesus is the bridge between the chaos of sin and the joys of wisdom. Jesus forgives me, restores me to God, and provides power to be different and gives hope bigger than the disappointments of life. God is a very present help in trouble and can give me grace to act peaceably and charitably as I face life's circumstances. Remember the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. And then fourth, turn to God from help. I think we, we messed this up, guys, especially in, in our particular um, denomination. We know the gospel, um, but remembering the gospel is not enough. Okay? It's just a view in which we see life. In our men's Bible study over the spring, many of us were humbled by these words. The average man in today's Bible-believing church is educated way beyond his level of obedience. You get that? 
This church knows a lot of theology, knows a lot of scripture. I mean, we, we just witnessed the goodness of God in teaching our children through Vacation Bible School. But that education is worthless, okay, if there's no obedience, okay? So, you know, my question after this is, you know, I'll say it again. The average man in today's Bible-believing church, now I'll say average person, so no one is eliminated here. No one uh, has an excuse. Is educated way beyond his level of obedience. Is it true of our church? You see, question number uh, one that I asked goes back to, to our faith, okay? This faith, hope, and love, okay? Question three and four, that goes to the to the hope, okay, of the, the resurrection, of what Christ has done on our behalf, of how the gospel really does empower us to be different people, okay? And then I'll say, kind of wrap it up here. Isn't it amazing? This is in James. Y'all turn to James real quick. I don't want, I don't want you to miss it. James comes... After Hebrews and before Peter, if you're looking in my Bible, it's on page 2007, so it's probably close in yours. So this whole idea of, this is verse 19, my dear brothers, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. And then verse 22. This is amazing. This whole idea of anger and when James speaks to, 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 to this is in the context of this. Don't merely listen. To the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who's, uh, who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in whatever he does. The context of anger in James is in the context of obedience. Don't just listen. Do it. Do what it says. Do what it says. You know, in the, in the tradition that I kind of grew up around, I didn't grow up in church. So that's the reason church is often intimidating for me. But it was a Southern Baptist that I grew up around. And there was a tradition there that the service always ended with what was called an um, invitation or, or, um, where you had the opportunity to deal with what God had done through his word that day. Okay, We don't necessarily have that tradition here, but oftentimes we have times of, called the prayers of the people. And that's a great opportunity for you to do what it said. To deal with your heart before the Lord. It's an invitation, really. 
Now, we do a lot of interceding during that time, but, man, that really, that, that time is for, for us to take what we've heard and immediately do something with it. And so I want to encourage you with that. Today, we don't have that. Today, we have communion. And Dan's going to come up here, and he's going to fence the table. And when I say fence the table, this table is for believers, okay? It's not for non-believers. It's for believers, if you're a non-believer and this stuff doesn't make sense, you need Jesus. You don't need bread. You don't need wine or the juice. You need Jesus. So I want to encourage you, as we end our service and, and, and enter this time of fellowship at the Lord's table, consider Jesus, non-believer. Consider Jesus, believer, for your anger. Don't just remember the gospel. Consider Jesus. He has given us the power to be different. Allow that to work out in your hearts and life. Let me pray. Father, we thank you.